1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson, and I have a really, really good show in store for you. I know I say that all the time. Well, it's because I think all my shows and my guests are fabulous. I only bring the best to you, and um, and this one I guarantee you guys are going to absolutely love because if you've ever been a person that... I had difficulties with overeating or binge eating, and, um, you know, it's kind of taking an effect on your health and well-being, your midsection is not looking like it used to, uh, then you definitely want to stay tuned, particularly because this is the time of year where uh, we start having some guilt, remorse about what we did uh, in the, during the holiday season. And, and so if you're looking for some help, uh, looking for some words of wisdom, and some expert advice, you have come to the right place. So hold tight. Before we get started, I want to also let you know that you probably want to get some something to write with, a piece of paper, find a nice, comfortable place to sit and relax, get your favorite beverage, and be prepared to uh, get a lot of good information bestowed upon you about um, how to think, probably thin, be thin, feel thin, look thin, uh, never binge again. How about that? So – um, now I just want to jump in and thank our sponsors, sponsors of the show, Blissful Living For You. You can check them out at BlissfulLivingForYou.com. com. have some great programs uh, with the advent of everything that's happening around us with our food industry and our, our health industry, the pharmaceutical industry, and, you know, just all kind of crazy stuff going on. You might want to check out Blissful Living for you.com and see what they have available to help you make this the best and most successful year of your life. And our other sponsor I want to thank um, is All Day Cable Incorporated. They are a telecommunications network installation company uh, located in Silicon Valley for about 30 years now. They've survived every kind of bust and boom uh, that there have been. And uh, they're still around and they're still helping large and small companies to telecommute and uh, communicate in the way we communicate in today's society with all the technology. They help these companies to stay on top of the game so that when they reach out to make a connection or a contact with their customers, they make that contact the first time. And so they are a network distribution company specializing in voice data, fiber optic cabling, wireless installation, speaker systems, audio video, whatever it is you need to get your telecommunications to that number A1 status so that you can communicate effectively and efficiently with your customers, whether you're large or small, you might want to check out alldaycableinc.com. Alrighty, so I just want to get—I'm really super excited about this show, particularly because of this time of year, and um, my thirty-plus years of the as being a healthcare professional and expert. Um, it always warms my heart and gives me a warm fuzzy feeling when I find someone that just kind of has the pop, so to speak, and uh, and has a lot of good information for those that we're meant to serve. So let me tell you about today's guest. His name is Dr. Glenn Livingston. He is a veteran psychologist and was the longtime CEO of a multi-million dollar consulting firm which has serviced several Fortune 500 clients in the food industry. You have seen his uh, company's previous work, theories, and research In major periodicals like the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Sun Times, the Indiana Star-Ledger, the New York Daily News, American Demographics, and a lot of other media outlets, just to name a few. You may have also heard him um, on ABC, WGN, or CBS Radio, or even UPn Television. Now, disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer overweight and or food-obsessed pe- people, uh, people that are obsessed with food, I should say, Dr. Livingston spent several decades researching the nature of binging and overeating via work with his own patients and a self-funded research program with more than 40,000 participants. Now, that's a lot of information, you guys, That he has obtained. Most importantly, however, was his own personal journey out of obesity and food prison to a normal, healthy weight and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. Again, if you are somebody that's struggling with food issues, addiction, overeating, binging, you've been told that you're grossly obese or morbidly obese or that you really need to lose weight, you're pre-diabetic or you're diabetic and your blood sugars are off the chart or you just can't control what you put in your mouth, then you definitely want to stay tuned. And so with that being said, I want to welcome Dr. Glenn Livingston to Bliss for Living.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this all week. Nice to be here. Uh
1: Thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to enlighten us and and have a nice conversation with me. Now, Dr. Livingston has wrote a book, and the book is Never Binge Again. Program yourself to think like a permanently thin person. And my heart goes out to people that struggle with, overeating or obesity or being overweight, particularly because I'm a healthcare professional and I've been seeing it. I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. And I have had experiences within my own personal family, so to speak, that um, I've watched people, you know, just really struggle with managing their weight or getting a grip on that binge stuff. And if you're a woman that PMSs, you might want to pay attention to this too. Because I know during our our little PMS time, some of us tend to overeat and binge on things that we ordinarily don't do during the other parts of the month. So Dr. Livingston might have some information to help you as well to curtail some of that. So let me ask you, Dr. Livingston, because...
0: You you can call me Glenn. You can call me Glenn.
1: Well, thank thank you. i was just trying to be, you know,
0: (laughs) Respectful. I appreciate it.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, Tell us. Why are well, I mean, you not
0: you're not call, you're not calling me dirty names, so um <laughs> I think Glenn, Glenn is just fine.
1: Okay. <laughs> and I'm enough. <laughs> okay, Glenn, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Now as, now, Glenn, let me ask you, why are overeating, stress eating, and binge eating so prevalent in our culture today?
0: Well, in order to answer that, I want you to know that. I think you went over a little bit in my bio, but I, so I'm not just a psychologist that um, decided to work with overeaters. I as someone I had a very serious problem myself, and coincidentally, because I, I didn't have kids and I didn't commute, I I worked uh, I worked from home and I had a, an awful lot of time to do a dual career. So in addition to my clinical practice, I did a lot of consulting for industry, a lot of whom were big companies in the food industry. And if you look at what's been happening in the food industry, they're, they're engineering um, food-like substances. It's not really food. It's food-like substances that are they're hyper-palatable concentrations of starch and sugar and fat and oil and salt and excitotoxins. And they're engineered to hit our bliss point without giving us enough nutrition to feel satisfied. And the result of that is that people come back for more. And... If you think about it, you could compare it in some ways. This is a little bit of an unfair comparison, but if you really think about it, maybe it's not. You can compare it in some ways into what happens when you short-circuit the pleasure machinery of your average mammal. So starting with rats, there's a whole bunch of studies that were done starting in the late 50s, early 60s by um, psychologists Milner and Olds. And what they did is they inserted electrodes into a rat's brain directly into the pleasure center. Mm. And then they wired that electrode to a lever and they let the rats press it whenever they wanted to to self-stimulate. Can you guess what happened, Rochelle?
1: They were pressing it. They probably was just sitting on that button.
0: <laughs> they were just sitting on that button pressing it thousands of times a day. Oh, but yeah. it was worse than. It's worse than that though because not only were they pressing it thousands of times a day, They would ignore their survival needs to do so. So, a starving rat would ignore food to press the button thousands of times a day. A nursing mother rat would ignore her her pups and abandon them to go press the button thousands of times a day. The rats would crawl over painful electrical grids to go press that button thousands of times per day. Wow. And, you know, yeah, and, and I don't think that no one's putting electrodes in our brains, but, you know, when you can walk out of a McDonald's and see a Burger King across the street and almost every city in the United States, probably the world soon, is it that far of a stretch to say that we're being given chemical electrodes like that? And, you know, if you even draw the analogy that these animals abandon their survival needs when their pleasure centers are short-circuited, well, look what's happening to people. How many people do you know that say, I'm never going to be thin because I just don't like fruit and vegetables? They don't hold any appeal for me anymore.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, there's a there's a ton of people. They'd rather go have that double, triple stack at Jack in a box than to go in the store and just buy, you know, some lettuce or an apple or, you know, something. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just an epidemic in our society.
0: And they're... they're- rather than eating what nature has to offer and nourishing themselves, they're looking for love at the bottom of a bag or a box or a container, all of these products of industry. And every time that they eat them, there's some you know, fat guy in a white suit with a mustache that's laughing all the way to the bank. So I, I just use that image to illustrate the, <laughs> the, 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 the profit motive. Right. The, then the advertising industry – is um, sending five to 7,000 messages a year at us through the airwaves and the internet, all about food. And maybe a dozen of them are fruits and vegetables. And, and most people think that advertising doesn't affect them, but the truth is it affects you more when you think it doesn't affect you because your sales resistance is down. Right. And then the addiction treatment industry says you can't you can't quit even if you want to. The best you can do is abstain one day at a time and You're really no more than an independent little child if you really have trouble and you've got to go to these meetings every day and with no proof, with no scientific proof that it works whatsoever. And so we've got a perfect storm in our society, and it's kind of a wonder that anybody can eat well. There's definitely a solution, and it requires just a little bit of thinking and dedication. But without that thinking, you're facing a tremendous offense. There are billions of dollars targeting your reptilian brains. And your reptilian brain doesn't know love, by the way. Most people think that they're overeating for comfort or they're not loving themselves enough or they don't feel good about themselves, enough about themselves. But in my estimation, that's not really what's going on. The, the reptilian brain is a part of the brain that's really most involved in addiction. And when the reptilian brain sees something in the environment, it thinks, do I eat it? Do I mate with it or do I kill it? Eat, mate, or kill. There's no love there. Love Mm. and spirituality and relationships and um, contributions to society and long-term plans like diet and exercise and um, family and creativity, music and everything that's important to us, which we think about as human beings, that's a little higher in the brain than the neocortex and and part of the mammalian brain. It's not, not really part of the brainstem. Part of this, the reptilian brain, which is very primitive and somewhat sociopathic—you know, it's eat mate, or kill—and so trying to love yourself more to get out of this doesn't really seem to work. It's—it's it's more like um, what you need to do is more like being an alpha wolf. And if you ever see an alpha wolf in a wolf pack, if it's challenged for leadership, the alpha wolf doesn't say, "Oh, somebody needs a hug." The alpha right. wolf snarls.
1: <laughs> they fight.
0: It, they fight and basically they say to the challenger, look, get back in line or I'll kill you. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the message. That's the message that's going on there. And so what finally occurred to me after 30 years of struggling, and I, I used to be, I guess I skipped over my story a little bit, but I used to be, oh, about 60 pounds heavier. At least that's when I weighed myself. I was probably more like 80, but I wasn't weighing myself for a long time. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Um you know, when my triglycerides were the size of the national debt—exaggerating a little bit—but <laughs> the doctors were certainly telling me I was going to die soon. Right. And that's um, you know, so why I, I lost all the weight, and I, I got control over time. I'll tell you how I did it, but but um, I realized I couldn't keep loving myself then, even though I'm a psychologist and from a family of 17 psychotherapists, and you know, oh, wow. sometimes if it, well, that's yeah, the San-
1: Wow, you know, so basically what you're saying is, and I, and I just want to, you know, so the listeners can like be up to speed, so speak. Basically, what you're saying is all those people that reach for those not one bag of chips, but maybe those four or five bags of chips, or hey, maybe that one bag of you know Lay's potato chips, and um, you know, when they're depressed, or boyfriend broke up, or girlfriend broke up, or you know, it's raining outside, or the car doesn't work, or Whatever the case may be, what they're looking to do when they grab, in their mind, what they're looking to do when they grab that, those chips or that, you know, triple stack burger with extra large everything. And, you know, they, they're looking, they say, is, oh, I just want to be comforted and I just want to be loved. But what you're really saying is, no, you're just seeking out to push that pleasure spot. And every time you push that pleasure spot, you're like the rat that is going to seek the pleasure you you don't care about really anything else but stroking that pleasure sh- that pleasure spot it's almost like a study that I remember back when crack cocaine was just just you know an epidemic through the roof and they did the similar study with the rats and the rats kept you know like you said they would bypass everything to be able to have that pleasure center stimulated from the crack cocaine or whatever they were utilizing as the um the you know, for the rats to, to seek that pleasure. So, pretty much all that stuff that people are saying about, oh, I'm just comforting. I'm, I'm you know, I when I'm stressed, I overeat or, or I eat or blah blah blah. You know, is not really. They're never going to find love, comfort, or anything good in that overeating. It's not the box.
0: whole story. It's not the whole story, and I'll, I'll tell you oh. a story to illustrate it. Yes. What, what people are what people are doing without realizing it is they're getting high with food. The, these things that oh, we're yeah. eating, yeah, they, they didn't exist on the Savannah. There, there were no chocolate bars and potato chips and pasta and pizza and. We, and I'm not saying you can't have those things. I mean, I, don't, I don't tell anybody what to eat. I let them make up their own plans, and I just help them stick with it. But, but we didn't have these things. We're not evolutionarily prepared for the concentration of pleasure that this offers. It's um, it's more than our brains can really take, and so correspondingly it's it's not your fault necessarily you 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 can take control you can step aside and mount a defense that really works but it's not your fault it doesn't mean you're defective you don't have a character problem you don't have a you know genetic defect that's dooming you to be a compulsive overeater Um, your, your survival drive has been hijacked by industry for a profit that's that's my contention and so and so I'll tell you a story to illustrate the emotional connection to food, because there is an emotional connection, but it's not what you think. Okay. Um, So I did this 40,000-person study. This was kind of towards the end of my struggles. And I figured that since I was getting paid a lot to do all these studies for big companies, I'd do one for myself. And I wanted to disentangle what emotions were connected to which particular foods. So I asked people what foods they struggled to stop eating once they started. And I asked them about different areas of their life and how they were feeling. And I found three really interesting things. People who struggle with chocolate like I do, they tended to be lonely or brokenhearted or depressed. People who struggled with, yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? Yeah. People, People that struggle with chips or crunchy, salty things, they tended to be stressed at work. And people that struggled with bread and bagels and pasta or even pizza, like soft, chewy things, they tended to be stressed at home. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. Now I just have to work on those underlying feelings and everything's going to get better. But before I did that with clients, I decided that I wanted to figure out myself. And since my binges always started with chocolate and I, I wasn't really happy in my life at the time, I, I was in a bad marriage and... Um, you know, I had some burdens that I was not really happy with. I said to her, okay, this makes sense. But I decided since my mom is a therapist, I'm going to go ask her too. Because she raised me. And I said, mom, I, you know, this all makes sense. But is there anything in my upbringing that would have set up a pattern where if I felt lonely or depressed or brokenhearted, that I'd go running to chocolate? And she said, honey, I'm so sorry. She got this horrible look on her face. She said, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, mom, what? What is it? And she said, um, honey, you know, when you were about one year old, your dad, your grandfather, and my father just got out of prison. And I loved this guy, and I adored this guy, and I did not know that he was guilty, but he was. And my world just came apart. And at the same time, your father, my husband, was a captain in the Army in Vietnam in 1965, and I was afraid they were going to send him to Vietnam. He was in Washington, D.C., Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually working in Walter Reed Army Hospital. And I did not have the wherewithal because I was so scared and so depressed to hug you and love you and feed you the right way. So when you came running to me, crying, wanting a hug, wanting to be loved, wanting some real food, very often I was sitting and staring at the wall and I would say, honey, I'd point to the refrigerator on the floor and I'd say, go get your Bosco because I kept a big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup on the floor
1: Oh, yeah, you I remember were...
0: that. Do you remember that? Okay, well.
1: Yes. <laughs> we're,
0: we're, give, we're giving our way our age here.
1: Yes, we are.
0: But but I got to tell you, this didn't fix the problem. If this was the movies, you know, realizing that I used to go suck on a bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup and go into a sugar coma, I would have a hug with my mom, we'd have a big cry, we'd forgive each other, and I'd never have the problem again. Mm-hmm. But do you know, Rochelle, the problem got worse? And the kidding. reason the problem nope The reason the reason problem got worse was because of this little voice in my head. A little voice went something like this. Hey, Glenn, you know what? You're right. Your mama didn't love us enough, and she left a great big chocolate-sized hole in your heart. And until we can find the love of our life and fix it, you're going to have to just go filling up with chocolate. Let's go binge right now. Yippee, let's go get some. And I discovered that, although there was a very intriguing relationship between what I was binging on and my upbringing and the emotions I struggled with, that once the chocolate took hold, it had a life of its own, because of all the reasons we talked about before. And because of that, the problem was that I didn't have a clear enough rule as to what I wanted to do with chocolate, and that I was allowing these voices of justification to overcome my best laid plans. So I decided that I would create a rule, like a very bright line, so I would know when I was eating healthy and when I wasn't. And for me, that was something like, I'll only ever have chocolate on the last weekend of the calendar month again. So I wanted to avoid it about 90% of the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and this is an embarrassing part. Is it okay if I tell something a little embarrassing? <laughs> I suppose it is.
1: Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell us.
0: Okay. So the embarrassing part is I decided to create that line in the sand. Then I decided that if I heard any voice in my head that suggested that I should have chocolate and anything other than last calendar weekend of the month, that that was going to be my inner pig squealing for pig slop. So the chocolate was pig slop. The voice itself was pig squeal. And the thing that was doing the squealing, my reptilian brain, was going to be my inner pig. And as soon as I heard that, I would say, I don't eat pig flop and I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> it, it's, and it's just ridiculous, Rochelle. It's just ridiculous that after almost 30 years of suffering, that that's what it took to wake me up. And it wasn't a miracle. It didn't work immediately and totally. But I'd start to have these extra microseconds at the moment of impulse to remember who I was and what my rule was and why I wanted to do this in the first place. Right. And I, I could make some decisions. I could make some better decisions. And that, that's how I recovered. It wasn't from all the psychiatrists and psychologists that I saw. It wasn't from Overreaches Anonymous. It wasn't from all the nutritionists that I saw, although I learned a lot from all those people.
2: Mm-hmm. The way that
0: I recovered is I don't eat pigs off and I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And I was never going to publish this. I kept the journal for eight years as I, as I figured it all out, me versus my inner pig and all the things it would say. Mm-hmm. And you know, a couple of years ago, I was, by happenstance, a minor partner in a publishing company, and they asked if they could publish a book for me. And I said, well, I have this crazy journal, and I let the CEO read it. And he said, this is great. We have to do it. And it just took off. And now we have 600,000 readers and 1,800 reviews and... Now I teach people how to stop listening to their inner pigs. That's what I do.
1: Wow, that's so. really cool. That's a that's a, thank you for sharing your story. And it's really cool because I think you mentioned a, a few things in there, and I think that can that can really touch home or hit home for for people that struggle. Um, and the one thing was, I think the most profound uh, was you know the story with your mom. You know, with regards to. Chocolate. I mean I could I could totally relate to, you know, similar story with regards. I mean I was a kid who now I've never had a weight problem. I mean, I'm just gonna put it out there. I've never, ever, ever had a weight problem.
0: Okay, However, I hate you. I, I hate you for <laughs> going. On. <laughs> and I'm one of
1: those kind of people that can eat everything, right? And now I really hate have, you,
0: but go ahead. Not okay. have a
1: weight problem, as particularly, you know, in that fifth decade of life when, you know, everything you're supposed to have, all kinds of stuff as women, right? But I don't. But um, when I was a kid, I was, and I still am, I I, I was addicted to sugar. I was, I was, I'm a sugar addict. I know it, um, and it, it really caused a lot of havoc on my health and well-being. Even though I didn't have a weight problem or never had a weight problem, I had other things going on, which the sugar, the candy, cakes, cookies. But you know, I would rather I was like the rat. I would skip over a good meal to go get some candy, you know, um, because it was it was it was just this weird little, I don't know, inner declining of pleasure was stroking me. And so every time I had candy, it was like, great, who needs to eat? I can eat candy all day. I'm not going to ever gain any weight or whatever. I wasn't thinking like that, but it, it was something definitely inside me. And then I realized, you know, I have the, as I started growing older, I realized I have this, this problem with sugar. And, and when I became a healthcare professional, I realized how bad sugar is completely, you know, it's for for all aspects of our body. I mean, we need sugar to process and do things, but not the way we're taking it in. The other thing um, was when I was young, because I was always suffering with, um, with an illness um, that no one would ever know because I would never say anything because I was just this type A perfect little child, I, I stopped eating fast food when I was about 13 years old. So mm, this is like, you know, 70s, I guess. 13 years old where, you know, that actually the fast food was actually probably pretty decent versus what we get today. Um, But it was, you know, again, it wasn't, it didn't make me feel happy. It didn't, you know, I didn't get that pleasure. You know, when I was in high school, people would go out drinking and stuff and they'd go to the, you know, fast food or at college, go to, you know, Jack in the Box. And, you know, I just didn't, I couldn't, it didn't, I, I never had that. But, Today I'm still addicted to sugar, and I know that, and I know how to um, curtail my sugar habit. Kind of utilizing something what you shared, but you know, it's similar track, but different, uh, different thing. And so, if we're talking about this, and we're talking about the struggles we've had, you know, with regards to eating food, you had a weight problem, I did not. Um, still was affecting both of our healths. Um, there's i want to say millions of other folks out there that have the same issue and maybe this show will bring to light some things that they may have even never thought about that we've been discussing and so i think this is a great you know time a great dialogue um and great information that you're sharing because sometimes people think they're all alone in their struggle and when they step outside their box or step outside their zone, they realize that there are tons of people like them. It's just you just have to hear, you just have to see, you just have to know, you just have to be kind of awakened and guided to. And so I thank you again for sharing your your story um, because I think it, it's very powerful, not only for me but to those that are listening. But I want to ask you, so – You've had you know, you you got over, you know, the, the issue with the chocolate and the overeating and all that. Um how did you finally um I wanna say get a grip on all of your overeating. Because you talked about chocolate and we kinda can you know, you gave us a visualization as you I could kinda see that. I love that Bascobel stuff. That was the best stuff to make chocolate milk out of. I mean, it was easy, it blended, you know, it wasn't like quick mix or whatever that other stuff is. It was just great. You put a little ice cream, you know, all the whole night works. But how did you find the um you know, the strength and the the solution and what fit for you to finally curtail all your overeating?
0: Well, you know, at first I started with chocolate, and that was a real trigger for me, and that, that's how I have most people start. Ask yourself what your single most difficult trigger food or behavior is, and make a rule that defines how you would like to be. it. A, a rule as opposed to a guideline, by the way. I want to come back to that and why that's so important. Okay. But um, once you have that rule, and you learn how the game is played, and you start to have a little more hope and confidence don't don't worry so much about losing weight right away unless your doctor says you have to but just try to take your mind back so that you stop feeling like you're changing your mind about this all the time and watch how you can watch how you can take control in ways that you didn't before and so maybe maybe it's a behavior maybe it's not an actual food so maybe maybe it's eating standing up you'll say well I'll never eat standing up again or maybe it's a buying food from a drive-thru. So say, I'll never never pay for food at a drive-thru again or something like that. Or or maybe it's needing to be a little little more mindful when you eat. So you could say, I'll always put my fork down between bites or I'll never eat sitting in front of a screen again. Um, Whatever it is, whatever that one thing is that's really the most trouble for you in your life with food, make a rule. Define a very clear rule and watch yourself try to talk yourself out of staying with the role. And then treat, treat your brain like it had two parts instead of one. Treat it like there's the reptilian brain, your inner pig or your food monster or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't have to be a pig. It's, but, but it's not you. And then the rest of you is you. It's, it's kind of like an organ. It's like, it's like your bladder. Your bladder generates some very powerful biological urges, but your you're required to dominate your bladder and express it only in particular ways at particular times in particular places otherwise you can't really function in society so Hmm. this is the same this neurological urge to binge it's coming from a biological organ and that biological organ is not you and it's wired to be inferior to you the mammalian brain and the neocortex the more recently evolved parts of the brain by the way, it doesn't matter if God put them there or they're evolved. You just know that this is how the brain is set up. Right. The upper parts of the brain can inhibit the lower brain when it has to, so that before you eat, mate, or kill that thing, you can say, well, wait, how does this, how does this impact my loved ones? How does it impact my relationships? How does it impact my longer-term goals? And then when you hear your inner pig or your inner food demon squealing and saying, oh, you should really change your mind or, you know, gee, chocolate grows on a plant from a cocoa bean and therefore it's a vegetable. When you hear anything crazy <laughs> like that, you you can say, that's just your pig scream. It's just your pig squealing. And you don't listen to farm animals tell you what to do. And then you can dismiss it because, you know, it's not going to do you any good. It's not, the, not who you want it to be. And as you start to get that power back and you're not feeling hopeless and defeated anymore, then you can add one additional small rule at a time. So what typically happens is people, sometimes they'll start with sugar and then their pig starts to binge on flour. So then they'll add something to do with flour and then the pig starts to binge on cheese. And so then they decide to create a whole food plan and they really lock it down and they get control over it. They feel so much better. And, there are, and you can make positive rules also. It's not just things that you restrict and you have to be careful not to restrict too much. Right. You can make pot you can make positive rules. You can say, I'll always drink two crystal clear glasses of spring water when I wake up in the morning, or I will always, you know, run twenty minutes five days a week. whatever you need to do, um, you can set up the rules to support you however you want to. The limit is really on your imagination. What I the one criteria I like people to understand is the difference between a rule and a guideline. So a guideline is like I avoid chocolate 90% of the time, 10% of the time I have it. Well, if that's your guideline, then every time you're in front of a chocolate bar, you have to make a decision. The problem with that is that willpower turns out to be a fatigable muscle, and it's fatigued by Mm decision-making. You can only make so many good decisions over the course of the day. So if you're wearing down your willpower with this guideline that requires you to make a decision at all points, as opposed to saying, I'll only ever have chocolate on the last calendar weekend of the calendar month, it accomplishes the same thing. You're still not having chocolate 90% of the time. But in the second case where you say only have it on the last calendar weekend of the month, all your chocolate decisions have been made the rest of the month and Mm -hmm. you don't have to wear your willpower down. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So come up yes. with a rule you know, as opposed to a guideline.
1: So, yeah, please. I was just going to say, please repeat, re- please repeat that.
0: We're looking for rules. We're looking for rules as opposed to guidelines. So I'll eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full is a good guideline. It's a good North Star. But I can't really tell when you're hungry and when you're full. And you know what? You don't really know that 100% for sure either because you are – Inner pig can always say, you know what, baby, I think we're hungry, let's go get some. Oh, you just had dinner, that's okay, you didn't have enough, we're really hungry. And there's no objective criteria, you don't know when you've crossed the line or not, and so your pig is going to use that ambiguity against you. But if if you if you say, I don't eat between meals, and a meal is uh, one hour from the first calorie to the last, and there's always at least two hours between meals, then you have a vehicle for controlling the amount you have in any one given sitting. So you want a rule as opposed to to a guideline. And before you start criticizing me and telling me that this is too obsessive, I want you to know that we're all living with rules that we've incorporated unconsciously all the time. So it's, and we're, what they're called are character traits. So let's say you walk into a diner and the waitress says, I'll be right back. I just have to get your menu. And she didn't see there was a tip on the table. There's, a fresh shiny ten dollar bill. And there nobody else that's there's nobody else that could see it. There's no video camera, there's nobody up front. There's no windows open. You could just grab the ten dollar bill, no one would ever know. Most of the people ask that question say there's no way they'd ever grab the ten dollar bill and I'll say why? And they'll say, Well, because I'm not a thief. This woman worked hard for her money and I'm not the kind of person that would do that. And I'll say, Oh right, so I say as a matter of character you have defined a rule for yourself without knowing it says I never steal that says what you will do in the face of temptation every single time. And there are all sorts of rules like that, that we adopt without knowing that we don't, you don't kick policemen in the tush. You don't, you don't pee in your (laughs) mother-in-law's living room. Right? At least I don't. (laughs) You, you, You don't do these kind of things. And, and it's because we have incorporated them into our character, the kinds of people that we really want to be. I'm just advocating focusing for a little while on the kind of person you want to be around particular foods with particular behaviors. And if you view a little bit of that work, it's kind of like when you learned how to drive, you had to study the rules of the road for a little while. And then after a month or two, you knew the rules of the road and you could just drive without thinking about it. That's what this requires, a little bit of thinking about what your most difficult, troubled intersections are, where's your troubled food behavior, come up with some rules, and then bring them into focus, and watch your pig try to get you to break it. You can always ignore it once you know that that's the pig, because you know the pig is up to no good, because by definition, the pig is any thought, feeling, or impulse to suggest that you're going to have even one more bite of pig flops either now or in the future until the day that you die. So I forgot how you got me up on that soapbox, but um that's that's how I recovered, Rochelle. That's how I did it.
1: Well you know I mean again, a ton of information and I hope you all out there are really um getting a grasp. He Glenn is just given so much information and what's so cool about it is he's just telling it like a story but within the context of the story, there's a wealth of information, so um just pay attention. You can always listen to this podcast over and over again, share it with your friends, family, anybody you love and care be, about, because there's a ton of information, especially for people that are suffering from overeating or binging or just having difficulties with managing their intake. Um you definitely want to pay attention because I'm going to ask him some more steps. So, Glenn, you gave us a bunch of information that is so important. It seems so simple, but yet I know some people out there are saying, well, it was easy for him or it was easy for her or she can do that or he can do that. It was not
0: that. easy for- It was not easy for
1: me. Yeah, can you please let people know? I mean, it's like when you try to, I think, you know, maybe when you're going to run a marathon, I've never done that, but when you first start to go run, it's extremely difficult. It hurts to the core. So can you please share and let people know, you know, the gist of going through this so that they can be better and feel better and look better?
0: Well, yeah, you know, you could have a tooth that has a, has a big cavity in it, and it's very painful, and you don't have the money to fix it for years, and so you suffer for years and years and years, but then you just go to the dentist, and it's kind of an easy fix. Um, a lot of this is like that. It seems impossible. Mm-hmm. It seems impossible that there could be such an easy fix, and people say, oh, no, it's a lot more complex than this, and don't you have to solve all your emotional problems first, and... Um, you know, if if it was that simple, then why wouldn't I just do it? But it's a lot simpler than you think that it is. That having been said, there are some other elements to it that are helpful to know. First of all, it seems like what's happening during the impulse to binge is that there's an activation of the fight or flight response. It's like the body perceives an emergency, Right. And it revs you, yeah, it revs you up, and there's a specific um you know set of nerves and and system in the body that does that. It's called the sympathetic nervous system, and that gets you ready for action and that's the part that says this is a matter of survival. I don't care what your diet plan was, I don't care what your food rule was. You're going to eat that right now, and it wants to force you to be less discriminating. There are two things you can do to minimize that physio- physiological experience. The first is you can activate the opposite nervous system, which is the parasympathetic nervous system, by taking three deep breaths, squeezing oh. your muscles as tight as you can as you breathe in, and then whew, letting it all go. Uh-huh. You, you have to take your body out of fight or flight at the, at the moment of impulse. The other thing that's very, very important is to recognize that the addiction to overeating is not just an addiction to overeating. It's also an addiction to undereating. What's happened is you've got caught in the feast or famine cycle. And most overeaters are very good dieters. Most overeaters will tell you that the next day or whenever they're done binging, they're just going to have juice for three days or something like that. And, you know, they're going to make up for it as quick as they can, or they're going to get on the treadmill for two hours or whatever they're going to do. And they don't realize <laughs> that they are reinforcing the problem. Right. You you want to have breakfast the day after a binge. Even if you're not hungry, you want to have breakfast. You want to signal your body that there's regular reliable nutrition and calories available because if your body thinks that it's going to go through periods of starvation, then the moment that food seems to be available, it's going to tell you to binge. It's going to tell you to hoard right. it because it might not be available again.
2: Mm.
0: So So Make nutrition reliably and regularly available to you. Keep your blood sugar up. Um, Try to stay away from the high glycemic, you know, foods that give you a food high for 18 minutes and then crash you for several hours. That that makes things (laughs) Um, work. And and do the things that would take you out of your of your fight or flight response. One of those is that deep breathing that I talked to you about. Another one could be meditation. Another one could be yoga. Um, a lot of the things that sound trite, g- going for a walk by the beach, um, you know, even if for people that have crazy, mad lives, maybe you can take an extra five-minute break, even if you have to go escape and close the door to the bathroom so nobody can bother you for five minutes. It's, it's a decision-free period for five minutes. See what you can do. And that's what I recommend. Th- those are some of the things I recommend to, to do that. The, remember that Emotions can create the desire to binge, but they mm-hmm. can't make you binge. Most, we associate binging with emotional upset because binging does have an anesthetic effect on the emotions. When you overload your body with food to process, then all of the energy goes to the digestive center and it's harder for the nervous system to conduct the emotions Right. Um, and, and result being that you don't feel your emotions as much. And so you could say that, well, I'm just eating to numb myself out, but ignore it ignores the element that these things that we're eating are actually drugs and I mean they're not legally drugs, but
2: mm-hmm. they're
0: concentrated forms of pleasure that just didn't exist in nature. And there's a high that you get by having that. You know, look at chocolate, look at the, the obramine and caffeine and sugar and fat and and you know, salt and all the things they put into chocolate, um it, it's a drug. It's a kind of drug. And if you remind yourself that we are overeating to get high with food, not just for comfort, you'll do better. Because most people don't want to think of themselves as a drug addict. Most right. people Even those that are <laughs> that, even those that are, right.
2: Yes. Right. And
0: what the pig want the what the pig wants to do is say, oh my God, we need comfort we're hurting so badly. The only relief in this life is you know, chocolate or Doritos or pizza or pasta or whatever your poison happens to be. And you don't want to let the pig do that. You, you want to remember that no matter how many problems you have, if you have six problems and then you overeat, then you have seven problems. You want to remember that it's not going to be the same to start tomorrow. All of the research in neuroplasticity suggests that if you indulge today, you're strengthening those connections. It's going to be harder to start tomorrow. If you're in a hole, it's time to stop digging. So that, that adds a little bit of depth and texture to what you're doing. I, um, I can send people some more resources to listen to how this is actually implemented in practice. I recorded a whole bunch of coaching sessions that I give away for free because I want people to, to hear how this actually works. But I know it's a really weird thing to do in theory. I know that a lot of you are sitting out there thinking, "Wait a minute, Rochelle has this psychologist on, and he seems like he's got a lot of credentials, but he's got this pig inside him." And what the hell is yeah, he having him on? A show.
1: Talks, yeah, and the pig talks to him, and he he doesn't want to eat the pig. And what the what? I thought this was you know, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, no. I, I mean, I appreciate. It. I totally get what you're saying. It's it's as a listener or somebody. I'm going to pretend like I don't know you know a whole lot.
0: I think I lost you. I can't hear you.
1: Hello? That was Hi. Weird. Yeah, all of a sudden I'm talking and it went away. But um, okay, just I'm for not a minute. sure where I left off and we'll get it all situated. But what I was saying is what you say, as a person, me just listening off the cuff, you know, what you're saying just seems like it's just so easy. And then you're saying it's not easy and there's the rationale and the the information behind why it's not easy to do, but as long as you keep doing it and you keep moving forward, it becomes easier and easier until you don't think about it. Like when I stopped eating fast food, at first I was very cognizant. I was a, you know, I was a, I was thirteen. I was in high, you know, freshman in high school, and that was the thing that we did. That's what kids do. You eat fast food, but I, you know chose not to and it was hard at times going out with my friends and not ordering anything. However, it now today it's not something I even think about. I can drive past them all day long and will not you know, will not stop or have a thought to eat. Same thing like with when you farts first started with the chocolate. You 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 put it on a specific day and then probably when you started getting close to that day you maybe were a little excited you're gonna be able to eat chocolate and then you got to the day and you didn't really want to put that poison um,
2: yeah.
1: into you, right? That's how it get. I mean, I gave, a, I've given up chocolate and candy and stuff for Lent, for Lenten season. And when it came time, this is one trip. I'm going to tell you this really funny story, but I had did that, and we were going on a trip to a Caribbean island, so we were going to be there for Easter. So I went to Seize Candy and bought a two-pound box of candy, packed it in my bag, because when I got there, it was going to be Easter. I'm going to be in this beautiful place, you know, and I'm going to be able to eat candy, chocolate. Funny thing is I got there, I didn't want to really eat the chocolate, but since I bought the two-pound, be- you know, box, I had to open it up and eat it. My None of my family wanted to, any of it. I took a piece and I did it, and it was just not – I didn't want it. I ended up giving the chocolate to um, the housekeeper for her to take home to her family. because. So it's, it's of the whole thing was it gets easier. It's not an easy process, even though what you can do can be very easy to put into your life and be very good for you. It's It's not completely – Um, easy, and that's why we have people like you to share the wealth of information that you have, and I do want you to share information about how people can contact you and get in in contact and learn some of the information, get the book, and get some of the free um, things that you have, but before we get to that, I want to ask you, so we just came through this season of overindulging and uh, to the max. And sometimes people are put in situations. I know um, when I was growing up um, in a family background of um, African-American and Sicilian, and people, they eat. Well, you know, we you were kind of like, well, if you didn't eat all your food and had seconds, you know, there's like this family peer pressure to eat, eat, eat stuff, and be, you know, full to the gill and lay on the floor and fall asleep and get up and do it again, which is so unhealthy. And we just came through that season. So how do people keep it together when they're on the track to really change their life around with overeating and never binging again when they get around family situations like that where that's the type of activity and mentality that's going on? How do they stay strong?
0: i give you two answers. The first is that you can have your everyday food plan and then you, could have, you can have an adjusted food plan for when you're in family situations and, and be very specific about how many times a year and what conditions and everything like that. And for your adjusted food plan, like let's say you're someone who never eats chocolate. Well, maybe on Christmas and New Year's you want, or Thanksgiving, Christmas and New Year's, you want to allow yourself one serving of dessert, even if it has chocolate in it. Mm-hmm. And not, not everybody can do that. Some people are better off avoiding it altogether. But w- what it's like is, it goes back to the decision-making thing. If you define the boundaries of exactly what you're going to do, I'm going to have one plate of anything I want to for dinner at Thanksgiving and one plate of dessert, and that's it. If you define it beforehand, then you don't have to make decisions in that incredibly pressured social mm-hmm. environment. Like with Love all those memories and, yeah. And you can think of it like, okay, you've got your bullseye on the archery target, but then there's the second rung or the third ring that you aim for, and you know exactly where that second and third rung is, and you just forgive yourself if you don't hit the bullseye on that day. That's one way that's extremely helpful. The other way is when you have a lot of social pressure, you can understand that the thing not to do is to try to explain to people why X, Y, Z is not good for them. Well, gee, you really shouldn't be having so much chocolate because it's, you know, not good for your blood pressure or your, your triglycerides or, you know, your cholesterol, whatever it is.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: don't want to, you don't want to have that argument because there's a lot more going on in a social situation than meets the eye. If you think about in primitive times what must have been happening when two warring tribes came together, and how they would have to break bread together and go through these ceremonies indicate that they were not a threat to one another they were not going to rape and pillage each other's women and children they were now joining forces and sharing food and resources so a lot of the offerings that you get are hardwired into that primitive psychology it's it's like a love gift that's welcoming you back to the tribe and simultaneously asking you you're not here to hurt me are you And all this is very primitive and unconscious, and it doesn't make a lot of sense in the context of a rational get-together in the the modern world. Nevertheless, it's still there in our wiring. And so what I recommend is that you give the people in the family some alternative ways to love you back into their tribe. And what that looks like is something like, um, you know, my mom comes up to me with a big piece of chocolate cake, and I say, oh, that is so sweet of you, Mom. You know, I think I ate a little bit too much today. My stomach's a little upset. Do you have any mint tea by any chance? Mm.
2: I'm,
0: I'm totally sidestepping the chocolate is good for you or not conversation. I'm totally sidestepping whether I'm going to eat it or not. I'm giving her another way that she can love me. And she's all happy, and she goes to get the tea. She says, of course, I'll make you some. She brings it to me. I sip it. And then she's happy. I'm happy. She doesn't feel like I'm at war with her. I'm not criticizing the way that she wants to eat. She feels loved and accepted. I feel loved and accepted, and all is right with the world. So that's the kind of thing that you want to be able to do.
1: Wow, I love that. Oh, my goodness, you guys. Glenn is dropping so many, as I like to say, nuggets of gold for you guys. You know, people pay a lot of money to get this kind of information in just an hour with their specialist. But he's given this information to all of us for free because he just wants us to be better and feel better and and know that we can do it when it comes to overeating, overindulging, and binging. Now, Glenn, I want you to share... Um, a little bit or share some information about the book, Never Binge Again. Please. Well,
0: I, I, you know, it was a journal. It was a journal that I kept, Me versus My Pig, for eight years, and then I edited it into a book with some very practical instructions. Most people read it and say, Oh my God, you're inside my head already. You know all the excuses I have, you know what to say to get over them. And they, they tell me they laugh out loud while they're reading the book. I didn't really intend for it to be funny, but. There's a sense of relief when you get there. I'd like, I'd like to give you a free copy. Uh, if you go to okay. NeverBingeAgain.com and, never and click on the big red button, it says free bonuses, free book, then sign up for that free bonus list. I will give you a free copy in Kindle, Nook, or PDF format. I will also give you those recorded coaching sessions we talked about so that you could hear what it's like to actually go through this. Some people are worried that it could reduce your self-esteem because you're calling yourself a pig, with that's... It's not really what's happening. It's, it's more like you're taking control of your bladder. And just like kids feel proud of themselves when they get control over their bladder and they go in the potty and they're, now they're a big yeah, boy or they a big do. girl, mm-hmm. pe- people feel an enhanced sense of self esteem when they get control over their eating like this. So I wanted you to hear that. I wanted you to hear how we turn a sense of defeat and despair into a sense of hope and power and enthusiasm in just one session. And this is all free. And I also wanted to give you a set of food plan starter templates. This is, um, this is a set of rules for any dietary philosophy. So there's one for keto. There's one for macrobiotic. There's one for vegans. There's one for point counters. There's one for calorie counters. Really, any, any way that you want to eat, I wanted to give you some samples of what the rules might look like. And I call them starter templates because I'm not going to take responsibility for what you eat or how you eat. I just want want to illustrate the principles for you, and then you can decide how to modify it for yourself. So it's all at NeverBingeAgain.com. Click the big red button and sign up for the free bonus list, and you'll get what you need.
1: Wow. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much. Um, Again, you guys, go to NeverBingeAgain.com and pay. Click the big red button and you can get all those goodies to help you. Or if you want to get them and share um, them with someone you know and love and care about that you see has a particular problem and you just want to give them some information, the more the merrier. But but just go to the site and check it out. And um, I'm very, very certain that you will love all the information that he shares on there. Now his book, I just want to let you guys know it gets four out of, uh, 4.3 out of 5 stars on Amazon, and it's had over 1,700 reviews. So if you're not real sure, still after listening to all the information he's provided us um, and you still want to just find out and do a little digging or sneak peek in yourself, then you can check him out and check out the book as well and the reviews for the book um, or the journal, as he says, on Amazon.com. And with that being said, Glenn, i wanna again thank you very much for being a guest on Blissful Living. It was very fun, very enlightening. I have a ton of notes um and I think the information that you're sharing with people, sharing with the world um is gonna eventually have a domino effect, and everybody's gonna get a grip on their eating and their binging and I uh, hope it so. will change more, the world a <laughs> lot more healthier you know society um. And so with that being said, thank you very, very much. And then before we go, I want to thank our sponsors, Blissful Living for You, as well as All Day Cable Inc. Please check out those two sponsors. They would very much appreciate it. And to my listeners, I want to thank you because the show could not be possible without you listening. So please feel free to listen to the show again, share it with your friends and family, and know that um, you are very much loved by me this is the queen of feeling fabulous rochelle marie lawson and i'm wishing you peace to your mind wellness to your body and tranquility to your spirit take care and goodbye for now
0: you can find out more about rochelle on her website rochelle lawson r-o-c-h-e-l-e lawson l-a-w-s-o-n or at health healing wellness.com